0: end of 2015. Hopefully everyone had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you made the most of the weather. Um, I feel like regardless of what else happened, uh, that alone made it a pretty memorable Christmas for us here in Indiana. And I know that some people hate it, you know, some people think it's December, it's Christmas, it's supposed to be cold, it's supposed to be snowy. Uh, Those people are wrong. Um, If you know me, you know that I think just about any form of weather is better than snow. Um, But everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Uh, So whether you loved it or you hated it, whether you were able to take advantage of it or you were still stuck inside, uh, hopefully you had a good time. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. James 4 verses 13 through 17. While you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and let you know that it is my fault. You don't have any kind of Uh, outline in your bulletin tonight I was not able to come up with anything quick enough last week with Christmas right around the corner to get it done ahead of time but we're still going to have plenty to write down hopefully and I'll let you know when the points are coming if it's just not a Mount Pleasant weekend without having points one two and three uh, or maybe even four ready for you so uh, we'll worry about that when we get there Uh, What I want to do in our time together tonight is look at this familiar passage, and I'm sure as soon as you uh, heard it or glanced at it, you you recognize it, many of you. What I want to do is look at this familiar passage from James and talk about what it means to desire the things of God. What does it mean to desire the things of God? In fact, if you really want to take notes, uh, you can write that down as the title for tonight's message, Desiring the Things of God. You can put that down at the top of your handout. Now, you might be tempted to think that this is something of an after Christmas message, you know. Yesterday, we, we gave our gifts, we got our gifts, and so tonight, I want to talk to you about what really matters. Uh, that's not actually what I want to do. I don't want to look behind us, but what I want to do is look ahead into the new year, into 2016, If you know anything about James, then you know that it is an incredibly practical book. What I hope to do is to use that down-to-earth style of his writing to help us prepare for a new year. I don't know whether or not you make New Year's resolutions. I don't know if it's a big deal to you or not. Um, I typically do, but I cheat because I don't tell anybody what they are. So that way when I fail miserably at them, I don't have to get any awkward glances or hear about it from anyone um, after the fact. One of the things that we did with my home group this year was I made New Year's resolutions for everyone. So I wrote a bunch of them up ahead of time, uh, folded them, sucked them in a bowl, and then we passed it around the table on the last week that we met together, and everybody drew out what their resolutions were but I wanted there to be a high probability of success so what I did was look at all of the most common New Year's resolutions and then basically write the opposite down so people would draw things like eat more chocolate in 2016 and watch more television and spend more money and save less uh, that one was people, that one got a thumbs up, It's like I can do that um, But it was just kind of a fun time. So whether or not you make resolutions, whether or not you're serious about them, whether or not this time of year is even a big deal to you, we all have to kind of acknowledge the fact that it is a time of change and transition. I mean, 2015 is almost over, and maybe for some of you it's going to be missed. Uh, Maybe for some of you it was a good year. Maybe this was the year that you got the job you'd been wanting. Maybe this was the year that you finally graduated. Maybe this was the year that you moved into your first home. And regardless of what else happened, you can look back on 2015 and and look at a lot of different things, have a lot of different memories that, you know, let you know it was a good year. Maybe for others, um, we'll just say that you're glad to see it go. Uh, Maybe 2015 started out with a lot of promise, but after uh, a couple bad days, a couple bad decisions, 2016 is looking pretty good, and you're ready to put this year behind you. No matter where you fall on the good year, bad year spectrum, I believe that our text tonight has the power, because of the practical things that James says, uh, to help us start out 2016 on the right foot to start out the new year with with the kind of attitude and the kind of goals that God wants all of us to have regardless of who we are regardless of what we do regardless of what kind of year we're coming from so with that in mind let's go ahead and read our text tonight Um, I'll ask you as we do each and every weekend to stand with me for the reading of God's word we're going to read James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 I'll read you can Follow along. He says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Thank you. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Let me give you a little bit of background on James and this letter real quickly before we get started. As a whole... This letter was written to Jewish believers who were scattered all over due to severe persecution. So these are Jewish people who believe in Jesus. They're Christ followers. James, the author, in case you didn't know this, is believed to be the earthly brother of Jesus. There are four Jameses that we meet in the New Testament, and of all of the options that we have, this is what makes the most sense for us. this is a man who did not originally believe that Jesus was the Messiah. John 7 verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed him. We shouldn't take that lightly. I, I feel like this is a big deal for James. However, we also know that after some time passed, he did become a believer. He was able to see Jesus for who he really is. I think this is worth noting because it gives a man who already had what we can only call a very unique perspective On Jesus as being his earthly brother, being raised in the same house as him, an even more interesting perspective as someone who didn't believe in him and later became a follower. Let's begin to work our way through this text. The first thing that we have to acknowledge is the overarching illustration of a business trip that permeates everything else. And we read these words. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. That is a business trip. That's what he is talking about. That's the setup that he uses for everything that he is about to tell us. It's straightforward. It's recognizable. I think it's practical. I mean, when you think about who the letter was written to, when you think about the fact that these were people who were scattered all over... This was most likely a very common thing for people to do, to travel from different towns and different cities where large Jewish populations were located in order to do business with one another. Hopefully, hopefully right away you see how easy it is uh, to have practical application for us in our own lives, just with the setup. We talk about James being a, a practical book, but my guess is that many of you have to travel for work You might be a salesperson who literally has to go to different offices, different cities to try to uh, get people to buy into your company or buy into your product. Maybe maybe it's not like that, but you know you have to travel to different regional offices for meetings and, and brainstorming sessions and all sorts of fun things that I'm sure everybody really, really enjoys, board meetings at the top of the list. But this is the reality, this is what people have to do. And James begins this section by saying, now listen. And what that means to us is that, you know, even though everything else that he's been talking about is of course important, it's of course valuable, this is a way for him to try and get his audience's attention again. You know, this is the snap out of it, this is the you need to pay attention to me again moment because I'm about to talk to you about something important. And I believe this still applies to us. He's telling us to listen up. But the interesting thing is, it's not what these people did that is a cause for concern. Rather, it's how they did it. What we're going to see in our study of the text tonight are three negative things and one positive one. First, James shows us what not to do. And then we're going to close with what we should do. Three negatives, one positive. We're going to start with the bad news first. So we can end on a high note. If you're taking notes, write down a number one near the top of your handout. And then next to it, write these words. They planned without God. They planned without God. This is the first negative thing that we see. Each of the negative things, uh, they're, they're a progression as well. I think this is interesting to note. And we'll see this as we work our way through the text. But they get worse and worse and worse. The first thing that we see is that they plan without God. These men, these people, as I already said, they have, they have a business plan. It's simple, it's effective, it's logical. We can even give them the benefit of the doubt tonight and we can say that it's necessary. You know, this is something that they have to do to provide for their families. This is something that, that needs to be done in order to take care of the loved ones that they have in their lives. But the problem is, that they're doing all of this as if there's no God. They're doing all of this as if there's no God. We see this progression begin. We could say that these men, these people, they forgot about God. They forgot about God. I think that's a pretty rough, a pretty rough way to start, but I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, planning wisely is not wrong, but the problem doesn't lie in what they did, it's what they did not do. I mean, nowhere in their plans do they consult on God. Nowhere in their plans do they leave room for Him to work or act or lead them. I mean, I think we see this pretty clearly. You know, they chose the time, today or tomorrow. They chose the place, you know, this or that city. They chose the length This is going to be a year-long trip. They chose the project. We're We're going to carry on business. This is not sightseeing. This is not visiting friends and family. They chose the goal to make money. Now, I want to say up front, and this is crucial for us to understand the text, and I believe it's crucial for us to have good application in our own lives, that none of these things are wrong. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. You know, you might be tempted to say, well, you know, if they had had a nobler goal, it would would help out their case, but they just want to make money and that's not not good enough, that's not valuable enough uh, to warrant anything. But that wouldn't be true. There's nothing wrong with a worker who wants to make money. There's nothing wrong with a person that wants to provide for their family. The problem is the absence of God the problem is the absence of God and what I think we need to understand about point number one is how easy it is for all of us to do this and to live this way it's an easy trap for us to fall into regardless of who we are because all of this just makes sense doesn't it what what these men want to do it's not bad, it's not wrong, it's not sinful it's not a gray area it's not questionable just makes sense we need to make money this is how we provide for ourselves. This is how we provide for our families. This, is, this isn't wicked. But the problem is that they planned as if they had the final say in everything. This is my idea. It started with me. This is how we're going to do it. And this is what's going to happen. That's never a good way to live. So pause for a moment. And think about 2016. We're really going to try and and bring this to life for the new year. Think about 2016. What are you planning for the new year? I realize, I realize that's a huge question. I realize that's an incredibly broad question. But the reality is each and every one of us have different plans. Each and every one of us have different goals, different hopes, different dreams, whatever you want to call them, for the new year. So what are you planning and then how has God factored into those plans? How has God factored into those plans? I mean, have you basically said, this is what I'm going to do this year, and I hope you bless me in it. I believe the reality is that this is the way a lot of us pray. If it's not the way that a lot of us pray, because this is, you know, the service for the ones who truly believe, then it's the way that a lot of people pray. God, this is what I'm going to do. God, this is what I hope happens. God, please bless me in this. And it doesn't have to be anything bad. It doesn't have to be anything sinful anymore than what these men wanted to do from James's passage of Scripture. Is that how you've prayed? Or have you come to him and, and, you know, you've laid out your family, you've laid out your, your job, you've laid out your hobbies, whatever it is, and you said, you know what, you know, regardless of any of this, but before I worry or think about any of this, I'm going to focus on you. What do you want me to get out of 2016? What do you want me to do this year? How do you want this year to be better for me than last year? Have you humbled yourself before God, before you bring Him anything, Let's jump back to our text tonight. Verse 14 gives us a couple of reasons why the people who plan as if there's no God, why the people who forget about God are foolish. The first one is this Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Verse 14 says, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, that's an understatement, right? If I've ever heard one. What do you know for sure will happen? What can you guarantee your wife or your husband or your children? When when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you're just, just you, forget about anybody else, what do you know will happen just in your own life? What can you guarantee without a doubt will actually take place? I mean, so many of us find ourselves in situations where we never thought we would be, you know, I never thought this would happen to me moments the I never thought this would happen to me situations we still don't give God the attention that he deserves we we forget about him we we live life on our own terms Proverbs 27 verse 1 says do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring the second thing we see in verse 14 that tells us why these people are foolish, why we might be foolish if we live this way, is that we are here such a short time. We are here such a short time. It says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This verse is probably one of my top favorite passages in all of the Bible. It might seem weird to you tonight, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, maybe you like it, Maybe maybe you're not a fan. But there's nothing that puts me in my place. There's nothing, there's nothing that reminds me of what really matters, reminds me of what my priorities ought to be, you know, just kind of sets me straight than thinking about the amount of time that I have on this earth. This is why we have to make the most of what we've been given. I, I, you know, reading about this, putting this passage together, you see all sorts of different illustrations Uh, ways to to talk about and and, you know get this idea across of how short a life we have one of my favorites that usually it usually applies to us around this time of year is to think of it as the idea of the way you see your breath when it's cold outside i mean how long does that last how long does that last and when I think of that as how it represents my life, and I think of that compared to eternity, what I understand about eternity, which is not nearly as much as I wish I did, it, it puts me in my place. That's the only way that I can describe it. And I understand that it is difficult at times to think like this. I mean, we are faced with very real problems in our lives illness, death. Broken relationships, loss of jobs, basic necessities, food, clothes, shelter. I mean, these aren't small things. And all I can do is really talk about myself tonight, but when I think of this idea of a mist, it just helps me to to, to take a deep breath and remember that God is in control. And no matter what happens, it's not that what I'm dealing with is nothing But what I have to look forward to is so much better. I have to remember to always keep God first in my life. So the first negative point James brings up is the temptation to plan without taking God into account. The second thing that we're going to talk about that has to do with these people, it has to do with the people who know God is there. They acknowledge God, but at the end of the day, they go ahead and rely on themselves all the same. So go ahead and write down a number two next to your handout. fly just landed on my hand. Uh, Go ahead and write down a number two on your handout. And next to it write, they rejected God's plan. They rejected God's plan. Remember, this letter was written to believers. And while it's fairly safe to assume that believers wouldn't live their lives with a disdain for God's plan... There are still times when people who believe in God and call themselves Christians, set aside the things of God for their own will. You know, this is when people say things like, well, well, I know Jesus says that we should forgive, but I just can't do that after what happened to me. I know that the Bible says this, but because of how I'm feeling, because of the situation that I'm in, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I said the first point had to do with forgetfulness. I would say this one has to do with our emotions. I mean, anyone ever let their emotions get the best of them? Is that a real question? I mean, it happens to me. I mean, you, you know what you're doing is wrong. You know the situation you're in is not a good one, but you're so swept up in the moment. You're so just wrapped up in, in the experience and what's going on that it's too late. It doesn't matter. Verse 16 says, as it is, you boast and brag. The word boast, it means to be loudmouthed. In this context, uh, it's easy to see how it's connected to someone giving themselves all the glory. You know, you just have this great experience. God just blesses you in this incredible way. But you don't say, thank you, God. You say, look what I just did. I can't believe what I accomplished. The second word we see says boast, we see brag right along there. This is, this is arrogance. And I don't know about you, I don't know what words pop into your head, what images pop into your head when you think about someone who boasts, when you think about someone who brags. My guess is that they're not positive ones. You know, something interesting, I love this, I love this about the Bible. This word brag, the way it's translated in the NIV, and in the original language, it could be used to describe a charlatan. And when I say a charlatan, I mean someone, you know, like a peddler, someone who would travel from town to town selling useless junk but convincing people that it was a treasure. You know, I I have this tonic, and if you just take it three times a day, it's going to regrow your hair. That kind of stuff. And it's a great picture of this because it shows us It's the idea of someone who relies solely on his own ability. You know, his skill as a salesman is all that matters. It has nothing to do with the quality of the product. This makes me think of, you know, late night infomercials and those knives that can cut through concrete blocks and stuff like that. That's the exact opposite picture that we see from Scripture. That's the exact opposite way that we're supposed to live our lives. Now... Just like I said with the first point, it's not wrong. It was not wrong for these people to have a business plan. It was not wrong for them to desire to to do business and make money. Here, it's not wrong to be a good salesperson. It's not wrong to be good at your job. But when it comes to thinking that you're so good that you don't need any help from anyone, even God, that you don't need to say thank you to God for the things that he has blessed you with, well, that's a different story. I think Paul is the best example that we see of the true value that comes from being a genuine believer who desires the things of God. He, he tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1, when I came to you brothers I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. It wasn't fancy, it wasn't big words, it wasn't showmanship. What Paul did was the exact opposite of what James describes. I mean, the men that James describes, they rely on and boast about their own abilities, their own accomplishments. And Paul knows that the testimony of God is all that matters. Paul knows that if he really wants to change someone's life, it doesn't matter how good of a speaker he is, it matters whether or not he can connect that person with Jesus. He shows us what we should boast about, what we should brag about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. He says, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And boasting in the Lord was the farthest thing from these men's minds. In James' passage. The end of verse 16 says, all such boasting is evil. James 4 verse 16 says, all such boasting is evil. The word for evil there in scripture is a title for Satan. So the way that you could literally read verse 16 is, all such boasting is the devil. Might sound strange, but it wouldn't be wrong. All such boasting is the devil. And if you're thinking about 2016 and all the ways that it's going to be your year, year, I mean, what, what are the... They say, "New Year, New You." I read that a lot online. Just be sure that you're humble enough to accept whatever God has in store for you. You know do your best. expect good things. Expect great things. But don't reject what God wants for you. Don't, don't stand on your own foundation and your own abilities when you could stand on God's foundation, and you could utilize the abilities that God has. Number three, right? Write down to number three in your handout. This is the final negative point of the section. Next to the number three, write down, they rejected God. They rejected God. Verse 17 says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. It's pretty straightforward. They rejected God. You know, first we saw the people who forgot God, then we saw the people who you know, made their emotional decisions, they put their trust in themselves, they got caught up in the moment, and then we see the people who acknowledge God's existence, they acknowledge God's supremacy, they know that God is in control, but they're going to go ahead and do whatever they want to do anyway. And it might sound a bit extreme, but you don't have to look very hard to find a great example of this. Anyone here ever heard the story of Jonah? I mean, Jonah was was a prophet. Jonah heard the call of God and ran the other way. I love the story of Jonah. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite stories to read about. I learn something from it every time I study it. But it's an incredible story because you have Jonah who hears God call him and tell him to do something. I mean, I've never experienced that. I've never experienced God saying, Andrew, go here and do this. Jonah did. And it didn't stop him from running the complete wrong way. Jonah knew that God was in control, but it didn't matter. Paul says it like this in Romans 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and animals. And reptiles. All things go through God. There's nothing that He is not a part of. And when we try to leave God out of our lives, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, it's a sin. I mean, you can't say that you're a Christian. You can't say that you want to live a Christian life and then just shove God away. That's not how it works. Write down a number four in your handout. This is the positive thing. It's not very clever, but it's valuable, I think. Next to number four, write down, submit to the will of God. Submit to the will of God. We're jumping around a little bit in this passage, but we saw the three things not to do. We see the three things that the people did wrong. Then James tells us in verse 15 what we should do. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, We will live and do this or that. Now, that's simple. It's almost too simple, I think, for some people because they think, well, it needs to be deeper. There needs to be more. You know, such a short phrase can't carry so much weight. But it does. And one of the things that I think we all need to realize is that James never tells the people to change what they're doing. He just tells them to change how they do it. And that's key for us. Now, does that mean you can do whatever you want as long as you talk to God about it ahead of time? No. There are some things that are always wrong no matter what. But it reminds us that the, the priority is on our hearts, our attitudes, our inner person, you know, however you want to describe it. When we desire him and all that he is, then, then we submit to him and we do this habitually we do this continually it's the way we live our lives it's who we are it's what makes us different and there are lots of ways lots of ways that that we can we can talk about this lots of ways we can illustrate this i just i try to think really quickly of just a few simple things you know it it looks like praying it looks like praying before any major decision not not you know god this is what we're going to do So please help it to turn out okay. But God, God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm coming to you for guidance. God, this is the situation I'm in, and I know that without your strength, I can't get through it. I can't forgive this person. I can't overcome this obstacle. You know, whatever it is. We pray to God before we act. We come to him first. It looks like like having a point in your day where you set aside time to read and and pray no matter how busy you are, no matter where you are, no matter what else is going on. Because when you do that, then it changes. It changes from just trying to squeeze God into whatever your to-do list is to saying this is where I start and then after this, I figure out what else I need to accomplish. It looks like making, it looks like making coming to church, um, spending time with other believers a priority. I mean, we can learn so much from each other, from each other's experiences, from each other's perspectives. We can help each other so much in the difficulties of life in different ways, but only if we give each other the chance. Only if we're here, only if we build relationships, only if we make this a priority. And I know, I'm I'm sure there are lots of other ways we could talk about this. There are probably lots better examples that I could give if I had given myself more time. But, But I think that you see the value in this. I just wanted to give you a few tonight before we close. Brian, you can go ahead and come on up. You know, we live our lives even as a mist, even as a breath of air on a cold day. You know, we live those lives because God wills it. He controls life, he controls death, he controls today, he controls tomorrow, success, failure. When we do the will of God, when we submit to the will of God, when we desire the things of God, then we worship him in everything that we do. We we make him a part of, of all that we do. Romans 8. 38 and 39 say For I am sure that neither death nor life Nor angels nor rulers Nor things present nor things to come Nor powers nor height nor depth Nor anything else in all creation Will be able to separate us From the love of God In Christ Jesus our Lord When we desire the things of God Then we connect with God as a way of life He's always with us And God desires that God desires to be with you. God desires to hear you. He wants to guide you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to be with you in the office. He wants to be with you in your house. He wants to be with you in your car. Everywhere, all all that you are. And so, when we think about how we want 2016 to play out, when we think about how we can start a new year off on the right foot, it's simple, it's, it's straightforward, it's, it's never been that complicated. That doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it always makes sense. But we start by submitting to God's will, desiring to be like him. When I pray, one of the things that I pray over and over again is, to, God, help me to love the things that you love. Help me to, to want the things that you want. Because I want to be as lined up with him as I can possibly be. And I hope that's what you want too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this book, for this passage, for the practical example of a a business trip. And how we can use that in a real way to examine our priorities, our emotions, our attitudes. I pray that you would move in our hearts that we would be honest with ourselves as we ask these questions, not only about a new year, but about tonight, about tomorrow, every thought that we have in between. I pray that you would guide us and direct us, that you would help us in all that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hey, let's stand together like we always do at this point in the service and sing have some of my prayer counselors come on down front to be here just in case somebody comes with a need in their life tonight. Come on down so you can be clearly seen. Uh, what a great practical message for us, especially as we enter into a new year. And So uh, we never draw this out and make it long, but if you're here tonight and you have a decision to make, would you come on down and share that with us? If you have a need in your life, maybe you're here tonight and you're just, you know, something from the Word of God, some truth that Andrew shared really struck a chord in your heart and you're looking at this coming year and you've got some uncertainty about whether or not you have put God and the will of God in the proper place in your plan. Would you just come and let us pray with you, whatever it might be, whatever need you walked in with. We just want to minister to you. Let's sing this together and as we sing You Can Come. Oh my
0: My refuge and strength
1: always. I will
0: not fear. His promise is true.
1: My God will come through always. is going to continue to play Father thank you so much for uh, your word thank you for how it cuts us to the heart that it divides it cuts and it divides and it separates and thank you for the way it convicts us even in those moments when the conviction is painful maybe sometimes too painful to even admit but then remind us that nothing is hidden from you. And help us to be a people who put your will first, the pursuit and the obedience to your will first in all things. And that's a perfect thing to think about as we come and we transition from this time of teaching to a time of communion that's open for every Christian that's here in the room tonight. It's a perfect transition because everything about Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, was all about your will. Even in the garden, when in his humanity, he sought another way, his ultimate response was, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. So help us to think about that as we partake tonight. When the trays are passed down each row, and we take a piece of bread and a cup of juice, we hold them in our hands, we touch them to our mouths, our lips, our tongues, we taste those things, we have that experience. Maybe we should pray. Maybe even whisper out loud Not mine, but yours. But as we partake, help us to remember and be thankful.